Stone. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Josh Clausen, and I am one of the pastors here. And I just want to say that it is a privilege to be with you this morning. It's so good for us to gather. And so I'd like to just uh, extend my welcome to you as well this morning. God is with us this morning. His presence is real and alive and active, and His Word is alive and active. And He wants to speak to us this morning. He speaks to us through His Word and by His Word. And my hope is that we've all come this morning ready to hear from God with the humility to say, God, what do you have for me today? What do you want to speak to us this morning? That's my heart, and I hope that's yours as well. And I believe that, as always, He will be faithful to speak. Uh, This is the last Sunday in our series called Voices from the Church, where we've had the privilege of hearing from a number of different amazing speakers this summer, either that are a part of our congregation or in some way connected to our congregation. And I just want to add my thanks to all those that have spoken this summer. We appreciate you and what you have said to us. And I just want to also say that it's a privilege for me to be able to speak to you today. Uh, I had the privilege of speaking at Camp Crossroads this summer for Junior High Week Chapels which was no vacation, by the way. Um, And I had someone come up to me and say, oh, that's that's lucky. You can just use one of your messages from camp and just speak it on September 1st at church. That's fine, right? And I was like, no, I can't do that. I'm going to be speaking to, like, real adults, real grown-ups with real-life challenges and, and big people problems. And the more I thought about that, actually the more I realized, and you may have heard uh, us say this before, this is something that Jeff has coined, that adults are just big kids. Adults are just big kids. And we have the same types of issues. We have the same insecurities. uh, And hopefully we mature, and some of us mature faster than others. But uh, the truth is that we have the same doubts, and we believe the same lies. And we have very similar struggles. And we often even doubt God's goodness and his faithfulness in our lives. And we need to be reminded of the same things that kids do. We may have choices with bigger consequences and we may have more responsibility. But the reality is we all, big and small, old and young, we are in desperate need of Jesus' grace and love to both save us and sustain us. And so I'll tell you what I told the junior high campers this summer. I said, there is a huge difference between knowing about Jesus, about hearing about him and learning about him, and actually knowing him personally. There's a huge difference. I spent the whole week telling them about Jesus, declaring who he is, talking about his glory and his grace and all that he has accomplished for us. But I I had to keep reminding them that you can hear all of these things, and you may have been hearing these things your whole life, And it doesn't really mean anything to you until you actually meet Him. Until you actually encounter the living God. You may know, in a cosmic sense, that God loves people. That God loves everyone. You you may hear that all the time. But until you realize that He actually loves and knows you personally, in a personal way, until it sinks in that He gave Himself up for you and for me, not just for mankind in general, that there was a personal sacrifice, a personal conversation and exchange that happened. When you realize that your sin was not just a, a bad thing that you did, but that it was actually a personally offensive thing to the Most High God, that you actually broke the most beautiful relationship that you could ever have, you could ever imagine, 
when that starts to sink in, that's when we realize that we need him personally. And what makes Jesus so unique, what sets Christianity apart from any other worldview, is that Jesus made a way for us to be in relationship with God. To have the honor of personally knowing the Most High God. We don't shout across an empty abyss to try and talk to Him. We don't find the Holy Grail of perfection in our lives, and that's the only way that He will ever speak to us or that He'll ever be pleased with us. Jesus calls us His friends. He tells us in His Word that He is closer than a brother. He has drawn near to us so that we can draw near to Him. It has always been about relationship. Right from the beginning, Adam and Eve are walking in the garden and God is there with them. He's walking with them in the garden. He designed us for relationship. You may read the Ten Commandments and think it's just these these objective rules, these, oh, this is the law, I have to follow, and uh, it's detached from any human uh, interaction or connection. But if if you come to understand and realize that all of the Ten Commandments even are all about relationship, it's all about either loving God or loving people. So if you want to go back and read them, it's always about loving God or loving people. And that's why Jesus is able to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself because it's always been about relationship when jesus came to earth he didn't come as a powerful king or a ruler he came as a humble servant and he was with people with the 12 he even had a close inner circle of friends because he knows that it's all about relationship you see you can spend your whole life in the church and you can do lots of good things and you can be a good person and you can live the way you think a Christian should live and, and never truly know him. Never truly know him. And you may be a better person than that guy, or you might be more disciplined than that person, or more generous than she is. But do you know him? Until you actually meet Jesus, it's all just empty religion. And you may not feel like it's religion. You may not even feel like you're religious. I don't know if you're here this morning and you feel like you're not religious at all, but... We all are measuring our life by some set of standards and values or rules that say whether or not you think you're good or not. And that's religion. Everyone has some sense of duty or obligation to do whatever they think is right. But again, you can only do these things, you can do all of these things, and never really know Him. Really know Him personally. Scripture is full of examples of empty religion. Israelites, Pharisees, kings, judges, where people follow the commands of God but they miss out on the heart of God people were living their so called best life but they're missing out on the giver of life himself Andrew mentioned this last week people want the kingdom but they forget the king is that you this morning if we're not careful our tendency is to slip back into duty into empty religion we resort back to striving for our place in the world are striving for affirmation in all the wrong places. And when we forget that we've been given an inheritance beyond anything we could ever imagine, we exchange this relationship with God for a counterfeit, for other versions of intimacy, false versions of joy or love or comfort or satisfaction. Our tendency is to want the kingdom, but to forget the king. As I was preparing this message, I was reminded of Jesus' words Uh, found in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? 
and do many mighty works in your name. And Jesus will turn to them and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. It's a stark reminder, and you might be thinking, why is he starting his message on such a downer? Man. But my question for you is, do you know him? The reality is that knowing Jesus personally, not just knowing about him, makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. It's literally and spiritually a matter of life and death. Do you know him? And I, and I hope, and I think the answer for all of us this morning is that no matter where you are in your journey, no matter if you follow Jesus or not, or how long you've been following him, the answer to that question, do you know him, is not well enough. Not well enough. You can be following him your whole life, and there's still more to learn. There's still more to grow. You can still draw closer. I long to know him more. So I had a friend a couple years back that coined a phrase that I really like, and I think it sums up really well our, much of our human experience as it relates to faith. He said, I have a thirst for the thirst. That is to say, I have a desire to desire to know God more. Or, I want to want that, but if I'm honest, as I go throughout my day, I find myself not really desiring that at all. Or I find other things are getting in the way. There are other things that I want more. There's other people that I want more. So maybe that's you. Maybe you have a thirst for the thirst. I think at different times in all of our lives, we can relate to that. We go to church and we go through the routine and we might even be reading our Bibles and praying before we go to bed. But after a while, it becomes just a routine. It's lost its meaning. And we forget that it's all about relationship. That knowing Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Here's a a really powerful uh, story that happened this summer. It's a present day, right now story. There were, uh, and this is not to my anything that I was doing. Um, This is all God's work in in their heart. But there were two Coptic Orthodox girls at camp this summer. Uh, And I, to be honest with you, I don't know a ton about the Coptic Church. But I, what I do know is that it, it was an, it originated in the Christian Church, and then there was. Along the way, there was division about the deity of Jesus, whether Jesus was really God. And, and there's some sort of um, understanding that Jesus was at some point God, but also separately human. And he was not, as we believe and understand that, in, in his very body, both fully God and fully man. And if you let that play out, if you extend that out, there's lots of issues that come with that. But these girls were... Um, forced into their bedroom they would they would be i don't know if they said they were locked in their bedroom i don't know how maybe that's an exaggeration but they were forced into their bedroom for hours on end and they'd have to read the bible and to be honest with you i don't even know if it's the exact same bible that we're reading but they're reading these words and it's completely meaningless and empty to them and this summer jesus met them at camp and yeah, it's awesome. It's exciting. He had, a, he had an interaction with them. They came in contact with the personal, living God, the relational God of the universe. And you know what they said at the end of the week? They didn't even say this to me. I believe they said it to Jessica. They said, go ahead, lock me in my room, because I'm going to be reading about Jesus. I'm going to be interacting with the living God. Isn't that beautiful that when we come to know him, 
when we come to see Him for who He is and we have a relationship with Him, it changes everything. We move from empty religion to life, to abundant life. And it's beautiful. Knowing Jesus makes all the difference. So you may have wondered, or maybe you know people that ask this question. Why can't I just be a good person, love people, and just hope that Jesus will accept me? Excuse me. Why can't I just be a good person and love people and just hope that Jesus is going to accept me, apart from relationship? Uh, and I have four reasons, and I think there are probably four, but these are four big ones. If you don't know him and your life is about becoming successful or being good or being better, being smarter than others or achieving something, whatever it else it might be, maybe it's just all about love. Uh, the first thing is your successes will make you proud because it's always looking to you, and your failures will crush you. Because if your life is all about what you do, you'll be crushed when you fail. With Jesus, you receive a new identity that's not based on what you accomplish, but what he accomplished. Number two, when you do good, you do so on behalf of Jesus now. You have literally the power of the Holy Spirit in you doing good works with you, and you have now the power to change lives, not just change, make somebody smile, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but you have the power to change lives now because you have the Holy Spirit. And you are never alone. You never go, go it alone. You're not out there living the good life all by yourself. You are constantly in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you have a relationship that will never abandon you. You have someone who will never leave you or forsake you, and he will guide your path. And number four, you become part of something so much greater than yourself. You receive a new purpose. You receive a new relationship. And so being locked in your room to read your Bible for two hours is a beautiful thing, actually. Probably so many of us wish we had two hours to just lock ourselves away. And so, all of a sudden, my introduction to my sermon just turned into a full sermon. If you're wondering, yes, that was just the introduction. Look out, folks. The runaway train. Buckle up. But I wanted to take some time to get this point across to you that knowing Jesus, the difference between knowing about him and knowing him personally makes all the difference in the world. We see this in scripture all the time. Saul is going about persecuting Christians, dragging them out of their homes and throwing them in prison, even having them killed. And then Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus. And he interacts with the glory and the beauty of our Savior. And his entire life has changed. And much of the New Testament is now thanks to God's work in Paul's heart. The disciples are in their fishing boats just doing their thing, working away, stinky old fish. And Jesus comes and he says, follow me. And in that instant, their lives are changed because they, they have met the living God. Zacchaeus is a tax collector who's been going around cheating the system and stealing people's money. And G, uh, Jesus meets him. He has a very short interaction with Jesus. And with no prompting, his heart is moved to generosity. He confesses what he's done and he gives back back four times what he had taken. His life has changed and his heart has changed. Knowing Jesus makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. So as I was saying earlier before my introduction, the invitation this morning for me was to speak on on what God has been speaking in my heart, what God has been doing in my life and 
this passage, probably for the last seven or eight years, this passage, this idea that Jesus is all about relationship, has been, God's been pressing that on my heart. Uh, this passage that we're going to read has come to mind for me more than probably any other passage in Scripture. It's almost like he's been kneading this into the dough of my heart. That it's all about relationship. Persistently reminding me that it's all about knowing him. More than any rule or behavior, more than even more than how I'm supposed to follow him, or how he's calling me to live, He's been calling me to know Him. And I believe He's been calling all of us to that relationship. To know Him. So this message is for all of us. Adults and kids alike. And as I said, adults are just big kids. So here's a little test to prove my point. When I was at camp, I was introducing myself. And I showed this picture of myself and my wife to say, This is when I met my wife. I was 12 and she was 20. And the math doesn't work out, but that's just sort of how it goes. I don't think I hit puberty yet. No, I was 17 and she was 18, and this is where we met. And then I said, this is going to be us. You know what we look like now. This is going to be us in about 30 years. And then I said, this is, about, this is us in about 100 years. So the kids, like you, kind of laughed and thought this was funny. And so we turned it into a game show, and then every day I would say... All right, folks, it's time to play your favorite game show. And then I would say, guess that geezer. Yes, that's what they would do. So I did that every day, and then I would take pictures of their staff, and I would show them pictures of their staff in like 30 to 50 years. So I would show them a picture like this, and they would have to guess who is that guy. And if they did, they would get a prize. I don't have prizes for you, but I know we can all guess. And then I would show pictures like this. Mm-hmm. Moses mixed with David Letterman. Uh, and then I would show pictures, let's not forget, about like this. Kevin posted this and said, make sure you get off my lawn. So my point has successfully been proven that you are all just big kids. Ha-ha. So I have a confession for you this morning. We can maybe, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Steve. Uh, My confession for you this morning is that one of my biggest struggles in my walk with the Lord has been the discipline of having personal, uh, personal time with him, of setting aside personal, some people call it devotions, time, of being disciplined and persistent to take time out of my day to be with him. And so I just want to confess that to you, that in different seasons of my life, it's been better or worse than others. And yes, Even pastors struggle to have their devotions. Yes, that happens for sure. And so I want to just confess this to you, but God has been continuing to press on my heart that it's all about knowing Him. And I'll go throughout my day and then I'll be reminded, like, I was kind of just dutifully following, or maybe I wasn't even following at all. And He's like, no, it's about knowing me. And so it's this this constant battle. And so my question for you this morning is, do you know Him? Do you really know Him? If you would open with me uh, to John chapter 15. We're going to spend the rest of our time in John chapter 15. It is on page 958 in the Bibles that you can find in the seats in front of you. So John 15, starting in verse 1. 
I am the, this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes. Every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into a fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my Father's commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. This is God's word to us. So just to give a quick context, in uh, two, two chapters earlier in John 13, we read of uh, the famous foot washing where Jesus kneels down and washes his disciples' feet. And he says, unless you let me do this, you cannot be clean. It says in in John 13, Jesus knew that all things had been given to him by the Father. And every time I read that, I just think we need to just pause for a second and realize that all things, all things have been given to Jesus by the Father. So we can rest and we can trust in him. Jesus predicts Judas's betrayal. He foretells Peter's denial. And then in John 14, famously, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He promises them the Holy Spirit. And the disciples, I'm thinking, can probably tell that he's building towards something. Something big is coming because he's doing a lot of preparing in their hearts. He's trying to get them ready for when he leaves. And so we're, we're kind of entering the story halfway in here. Um, and this is, this is part of a, a larger section of a conversation that Jesus is having, having with his di- disciples. Sorry, but he says at the end of uh, 14, he says, Rise, let us go from here. And so now they're walking. He's walking with his disciples. And you can just imagine, it's quite easy for us to imagine here, that he's walking and he comes across a vineyard. Walking along concession, whatever. And he comes across a vineyard. And he's, as they're walking, he sort of stops and says... I am the vine, and you are the branches. And he enters into this teaching for them. It's really practical, and it's probably really memorable, and they might even be eating grapes as he's, as he's telling them. So let's enter the story there. Let's enter into this picture. He says, I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener. And so first thing I want to say this morning is that we need to remember the true vine. Are you remembering who is the true vine in your life? Perhaps your place in your place where you're um, clinging to the true vine, where you've had hardship in your life. We hear of so many people that have health issues or 
hardships or you've lost someone and you're in this place where you're just clinging to the vine because He is all you have. And my word to you would be, hold on. Hold on to the true vine. Jesus is the vine. And our God, our Father, is the gardener. And He's a good gardener. And He sees you where you're at. And He knows where you're at. And He sees you in your struggle. And He's with you. Cling to the vine. Perhaps this morning, you've stopped bearing fruit in your life. And you wonder why. Maybe you're being pruned. Maybe you feel like what used to be grapes in your life have turned to raisins. Remember the true vine. Are you abiding in your looks or your humor, your intellect, your job, your success, your money? Perhaps you're abiding in your relationship with your family or in another relationship. And those are all beautiful and good things. But I want to say to you, remember the true vine this morning. If we cling to those things, eventually we will dry up. And we will be cut off to make room for more growth. You see, we cannot stop God's kingdom from advancing. Isn't that beautiful? We cannot stop God's kingdom from advancing. And He's calling all of us to be a part of that advancement. But we can only do it if we abide in Him. We can only do it if we abide in Him. And if we stop bearing fruit in our lives, He will cut off the bad growth to make room for more good, healthy growth. Many of you are farmers, and I don't know a single thing about farming or grapes or any of this, but you know that you have to prune off the bad to make room for healthy growth because we cannot stop the kingdom from advancing, and we serve a good gardener, and he's going to do good work. Do you trust him enough to let him get in there and cut off and cause, allow for some pain in your heart. Allow for some hardship in your life so that He can cut off the bad growth and He can turn it into good. Will you allow Him to take you through the painful process of making you small, of trimming you down, reminding you of who you really are so that in time you can bear good fruit for Him? Verse 3 says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You are already clean. So much of our life is spent trying to become clean or trying to become good, trying to earn our way. But he says, you are already clean because of my word in you. If you put your faith in him and him alone, you will be saved. That's a promise. He says, you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And Jesus is the living word of God. He's the very presence, the very evidence of God's nature. And he says, you are clean because of my word. The way to know God's heart is to get acquainted with His Word and to enter into relationship with the living Jesus Christ through His Word. Jesus didn't save you so that you can earn your place. He goes on in verse 14 and 15. We didn't read that, but he says, No longer do I call you servants or slaves, but I have called you friends. Hear the good news this morning that in Jesus you are already accepted and loved, not for what you have accomplished, or could ever attempt to achieve. Jesus is not going to be more pleased with you at the end of this day, or this summer, or this financial quarter, or whatever, maybe this harvest season. He's not going to be more pleased with you because of your good works. Some of you need to hear this, that you can't earn this. You can't earn His love. And some of you need to know that He is not going to be less pleased with you when you fail. 
Because He already loves you the maximum amount. He already loves you with the fullness of His love. And it's not because of what you've done. It's not based on how good you are. Jesus already loves you the maximum amount. You are accepted by His grace. And not by what you've accomplished, but only by what He has accomplished. Jesus has not saved you so that you can try and earn His love. And He has certainly not saved you so that you can try and earn the approval of others. Jesus has saved you so that you can bear much fruit. And the only way to do that is to abide in Him. So, if you're a farmer, maybe you can answer this question. Have you ever gone out and and you see your crop working really hard to make fruit? No. Plants don't have to try hard to make fruit. It just is a natural thing that happens. It's not like they're striving or working really hard to produce fruit. It's the natural outflow. It's just it's just who they are. It's just what, what they do. He says, Abide in my love. Dwell in. To rest in. To remain in my love. To walk in my love. He, so my question is, where are you abiding? Are you abiding in your good deeds? In what others think of you? In your success or your comfort or your freedom? Maybe you're abiding in this illusion that you think you have ultimate control over your life. That you're going to decide how everything goes. Or are you abiding in the love of the Holy Spirit? Is the fruit of the Spirit just the natural outflow of your life? The natural outflow of your heart? Is your very source of life coming from the true vine? My prayer this morning is that as I'm saying these things, that God would be speaking to your heart and bringing things to mind that you need to let go and say, God, I want you to be my true vine. Jesus saves you, not just for you, but so that you can glorify God by bearing fruit. Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to me to be my disciples. Are you bearing fruit in your life? And this all sounds nice. Thanks for the nice reminder, Josh. Appreciate it. That's good. But it's more than just a nice reminder this morning. It's actually a really harsh, strong command to us because he says in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown into a fire and they're burned. It's a strong word. It's a harsh word. We have to remember that we are not the gardener. And we're not even the vine. We're the branches. He is the vine and He is the gardener. Sometimes we like to think that we are, but we are just the branches. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. So probably the most significant season of growth in my life was about eight years ago. Probably just about the time when I started hearing this word on my heart, but... I had gone through some heartbreaking things and I felt like my identity had been shaken. I felt like I had a lot of shame and brokenness about who I was. And for most of my life, my prayers had centered around what I wanted. God, would you do this for me? God, can I have that? Can you do this? It was all about what I wanted. And as our prayers are centered around what we want, so does our mindset and our daily living starts to become centered around what we want. And I had realized that God had given me actually many, many of the things that I had asked for, 
and I appreciated that, but they often turned sour. And I realized, I started to realize anyway that asking for what I want didn't usually actually turn out that well. And so I, I made a commitment and I changed my mind. I repented of that and I said, from now on, and it was about a season of, of about two or three months that I committed to never once asking for what I wanted. I always, when I was praying, I always tried to turn my prayers back to say, God, what do you want for me? What do you have for me? And in those moments where I was tempted to say, well, would you give me this? Or can I have that thing? Or I would have to stop myself and say, you know what? He knows. He knows our hearts. He knows the desires of our hearts. He knows what we want. And even more than that, he knows what we need. And so I would stop and I would say, you know what, Lord? I trust you because you know the desires of my heart. You know the desires of my heart. And I'm going to trust that you're the good gardener and you're going to trim where it needs to be trimmed. And you're going to let things grow where it needs to grow. And my outlook on life started to change and my mindset about prayer started to change and my mindset and trust in God started to change because I stopped asking for what I wanted. So here's my challenge for you. Let's get a little bit more practical. If you've, You may have heard of the 30-day challenge or the 8-week challenge or 6 weeks to a better you. Whatever. If you feel like you've been in church for a long time and you don't know the living God, here's a way you can start. If you want to get to know God, for the next two months, two months, if you can... You can fast for eight weeks. You can pray for eight weeks. It's not that long. Three things. For the next two months, I want you every single day to ask that the Lord, when you first wake up, ask that the Lord would reveal himself to you in your heart, that you would have an interaction with the living God. Say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know your heart. Would you reveal yourself to me? Ask and you shall receive. Ask for the Lord to speak to you. Number two, start in John chapter 10. Just read a little chunk every day. Maybe just follow the subheadings. Every single day, ask for the Lord to speak to you and then read from his word. Starting in John 10 and just read to the end of John. It's beautiful. And number three, stop praying for what you want. Stop praying for what you want and start asking for what God wants. Start praying in accordance to God's will. And more than any tip or trick or eight-week challenge, we need to remember the good news. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. In the same way that the Almighty, perfect, Heavenly Father, the Lord of all creation, the author of love, the one who has been in perfect relational unity for all of eternity with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, in that same beautiful relationship of love, Jesus has loved you. In the same way that the Father loves His Son, Jesus loves you. We need to hear that. Just as God the Father has loved Jesus the Son for all of eternity, so Jesus loves you. We need to remember the gospel this morning. We need to remember it, that Jesus loved you so dearly and considered you of ultimate value, not on your own merit, but of sheer love and grace, so that he laid down his life for you, that you might be able to abide or remain in the perfect love of the Heavenly Father, not only now, but forever. 
Jesus loved you so dearly. He literally considered you worth dying for. He loved you so dearly that he laid down, he separated himself from his perfect relationship with the Father that we might have the same relationship that we could abide and remain in his love forever. How do you get to know God? How do you come to love him with your whole life? We have to let this sink deep into our heart. And don't ever forget it. And when you do forget it, remind yourself of it or ask somebody else to remind you of it and remind other people of it that Jesus gave up his perfect, eternal relationship of love with his heavenly Father so that we might be able to remain in his love now and forever. Verse 13 says, No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. And the disciples probably didn't quite know it yet, even though he might have warned them a few times. But we read in chapter 19 that Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus gave up his life so that we might have abundant life. Jesus sacrificed his loving relationship with God so that we might have this relationship of love with God. Jesus gave up his joy that we might experience abundant, full joy, complete, perfect joy in him. Now the command for us is to go and do likewise. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And so you should love others. Verse 11, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So those who seek to find their life will lose it. But those who give up their life for Jesus' sake will find it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you have loved Jesus, that you've been in perfect relationship with him for all of eternity. And Jesus, we thank you that you gave up yourself. You gave up your glory. You gave up your joy so that we might experience full joy, true joy and complete joy in you. And so we want to just rest today. We want to abide and trust in once again that you love us we can be in relationship with you. And Lord, we want to just repent of the ways that we tend to lean towards empty religion and we try to earn these things or we try to strive to love you or to earn your love or to be a good person. And yet, Lord, like a, like a plant, we can't just produce fruit on our own. We need to be connected to the vine. And so, Jesus, would you do that work in our hearts this morning? Would you connect us back to you? If there's areas that need to be pruned, if there are things that need to be cut off, would you do that work in our hearts this morning? Because, Jesus, we want to know you more. We want to know you more. We want you to have the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name.